Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream is a total chocolate game changer. We start with unbelievably creamy dark chocolate ice cream. Then we add different chocolate treats, like chocolate cookies, chocolate cake, or chocolate brownies to make four decadent chocolate flavors. Because sometimes the thing that pairs best with chocolate <laughs> is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific time, only on Netflix. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here. I want to tell you about a benefit show that we're doing for our friend Jason Signs. He had a horrible accident and is currently uh, fighting his butt off um, to recover. So the benefit show is they're going to be in Los Angeles and New York City Monday, April 1st. That, of course, is April Fool's Day in honor of the very uh, punny, funny, goofy uh, Jason Signs. And in Washington, D.C., there is going to be a benefit show on Wednesday, April 3rd. If you want all of the details, just look in the description of today's Side Stories episodes and you'll find who's performing. Obviously, Jackie's going to perform. I'm performing with Holden McNeely here in New York City. Ed Larson is going to be there. The whole Last Podcast family will be fighting for Jason Signs the best we know how through using humor on both coasts of this fine country of ours. So please, if you have those nights off, check out those shows. It's not just going to be some boring, oh my God, sappy event. It's going to be full of laughs, full of joy, and quite frankly, it'll be nice to spend another evening with our LPN family. So all right, everyone, come on out, support Jason Signs, support a friend of ours, and don't forget, hail yourselves! There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. Side stories! Yeah, your That's when the cannibalism started. Side, Side stories. stories. <laughs> yes. So I am in Toronto, oh. Canada. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. I tell you what, it hasn't changed. Very nice. Oh, it hasn't changed. Is that a oh. good thing or a bad thing? Uh, yeah, you know the Toronto exactly the same. No, there's not my, Jamaican. It's not, that is a Jamaican accent. It's getting better. Oh, eh. Oh, you come up to Canada, eh. You are exhausted. Yeah. Yes, I am. <laughs> hey, what's up, everyone? This is Side Stories. I am Benjamin Grant Kissel, the BGK. Ooh. And then, of course, we have Henry Zabrowski, who, uh, after this tour, I had a chance to sleep on Sunday evening, and Henry Zabrowski has not. So he is what one would call in the clouds mentally. I am destroyed but i've had a couple of funny things happen to me so i went from we did our show in pittsburgh holy shit this whole this that whole tour was so much goddamn fun so much fun and pittsburgh man i cannot stress this enough it is the and i don't even want to plug it because i don't want to ruin it uh but it is the unsung coolest city in America. And I'm not really even is. being hyperbolic. I think no. Pittsburgh is so freaking fun. It's ridiculous. But all that Cincinnati, Cleveland, and Nashville all are beautiful. We had a wonderful time. We had a sad, not sad. We didn't have a sad night. Cincinnati was having a sad night. Not well, for us, but people were crying in the street. I don't know why people in. are crying in the street in Cincinnati. I know what's going on, but we got plenty drunk at that. I think it's technically a terrible bar, but it was great. Yeah. Like, O'Malley's in the alley. Yeah, that was it. I think we've already discussed this, but at one point we would just walk into this bar and then a, 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 a fan, a wonder, so thank you for listening, but she was just bawling right. and then she's like, it's so good to see you, but then I don't even know why they were crying. And then the whole thing, there was just a lot of hot drama going on in Cincy. There was a like, lot of drama going on in the streets of Cincy. But now you're in Toronto and you're doing press for your pretty faces going to hell. When we went straight from Pittsburgh to Chicago to do CT. 2E2, uh, because we're pushing Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell, which opens up season four, starts again on Adult Swim on May 3rd. I'm saying oh. this even against my will. 
It is now so ingrained into my mouth muscles that I'm just saying it. Um, but we are we went to Chicago and then I went to Toronto and I did press all day for Toronto. And so what they do, they're like one of the big things in the middle of the day. We're doing Canadian morning television, the right. morning news. And they all said, Henry, please. I first of all, you need you need to control yourself. And I was like, what are you talking about? Because right. each one, they all started with it. They all started with the warning. They're like, Henry, we need you to keep it to talking about the makeup and the costumes. Okay. That's it. And I was like, you trying to control me? It sounds like to they control are. Me? It sounds like they are. For good reason. I understand why they want to do it, but at the same time, you're paying for me to do the fucking thing, right? I'm going to go out there and I'm going to be, I got to be too real to be it. cast again. That's <laughs> I what I have to be. <laughs> I know your methodology. And so I'm answering pretty normal questions. And finally, I get I ended up getting them very upset with me because I said at some point, which I'm certain is going to be cut out, where they was asking me. They always they've been every one of them asked the same question okay. of like, what's too naughty or raunchy to be on the show? And so I don't these, know. So what, these Toronto radio hosts they want you to go there by saying, "What's too naughty? What had to be cut out of your pretty face is going to hell." And then you answered their question. Is that correct? You got to. They asked me to do it. And so I think was a funny peccadillo about network like bullshit with stuff like you can pee on a man's face, but the pee can't be yellow. And you can shit. You can shit in a man's mouth. You can't. Shit can hit my lips. Shit can go, can splat against the wall. You can see a pile of shit. I was uh -huh. saying poop, but I was saying poop. Right, okay. because well, I know good. it's morning you, you television. You did clean it up, then. You did this clean is what I'm it up. Yeah. I was clean. I thought right. I was clean. Yeah, but it can't be brown, and also the shit can't come out of a butt. So like you can't see the butt. And they were. It was minutes of silence. Right. They right. were horrified, and everyone was just like, and I just go like, what? Like I just explained it, and we're all the cameras on me. It's not live, so they're right. gonna cut it out. I imagine. I don't know what they're gonna do, but afterwards, they're like. We said to keep it to the costumes. But they asked you. They, they, they asked, asked you to go there. Because guess what? We really do cut out. There's shit that we we obviously is much worse than that. Of course. It's us in devil costumes. It, it, is bizarre, it is bizarre that you can't show the brown uh, poops, of course, because that's technically much healthier than a green one or an orange one. What colors were your shit? At the end of this trip, because oh, none of us, none of us shit. <laughs> I'm still having problems because I'm still on the road. <laughs> I don't even, the audience does not need to hear about post-tour Duke. I'll tell you that much. Um, a little bit later on in this episode, actually coming up fairly quickly in this episode, we are going to speak with Joe Bob Briggs. He is oh my a television God. legend, Joe Bob's drive-in theater, Monster Vision. He also was a correspondent on The Daily Show for two years. And he wrote the books, Joe Bob Goes to the Drive-In, and Joe Bob Goes Back to the Drive-In. So we are going to interview him uh, coming up here in the very near future. We're doing a long-form interview with him. Yes. He is, it's just such a delight to talk to him. And Because oh, yeah. normally we've been doing these interviews for Patreon, but we're like, Joe Bob Briggs is too big of a deal for us and for our community to just like we wanted him front and center. We want you guys to hear what he has to say. And Absolutely. man, he's still as sharp and as funny as ever. Oh, he's great. And if you want to, uh, this is also just a little bit of like, what do these two guys sound like when they interview someone? This is going to be a great sample for you, a great uh, indication of how a show like that goes. So if you want more of those interviews, feel free to give a dollar to our Patreon, five dollars, a thousand dollars, or a million dollars, and we'll take dollars. you to Six Flags. We're taking um, you to Six Flags. You to Six Flags. And then you can listen to the, oh my goodness, we must have 15 to 20 interviews on there at this point, and they're all absolutely uh, wonderful with great, great guests. Um, first, I just want to read a couple of fun little stories. We can do a few here. Uh, this one is one of the personal favorites of mine, and I'm not sure if uh, I'm not sure how old Henry is because this sounds like what is going to happen to Henry Zabrowski as soon as he is shoved into a retirement community by whatever children he has. I am, you know, I'm 34. I know you have some time. I got 10 more years. An elderly couple sued 
for blasting Iron Maiden too loud. An elderly couple who lived in a quiet retirement community in Stockholm, Sweden, which, by the way, we will be in Stockholm, uh, has reportedly been sued for blasting Iron Maiden too loud. Um, The couple used the English heavy metal band's music to take revenge on a new couple that moved into their neighborhood. (laughs) Other neighbors say the issue started in October when the new neighbors arrived and their sex life was too loud. Apparently, the new couple would go at it, quote, all night, just a reminder, this is a retirement community. So ba- what is going on? Number one, kudos to both of these couples where it's like you're you're banging too loud. And then the other couple is like, we know what to do. We're going to rock them out of here. The best way to win in this scenario is to go over there and just straight up say, nice fucking. So the, the couple, they are uh, they're 81 years old and 71 years. They say old in the article, but I'm going to say young because they're still say rocking old. the maiden. They are old. They were not happy with the uh, with the sounds of sex, so they started blasting the music, and it got so bad the police were called and had to force their entrance to the house while avoiding to shoot strangers was playing, which I will say. Hell if you're, yeah, if, dude. If Hell yeah, man. That's a good fucking busted. album. <laughs> if your house is being busted down by cops, the song of Ford afraid to shoot strangers is played might actually be good because maybe they'll be like that's right we are afraid to shoot strangers we'll let the couple live I think again always revert to masturbating if you want to get people's (laughs) attention you want to get them to leave you alone if you're in the middle of a fight and you want it to stop a really Uh good way is to just start jerking off and then the fight stops if you want them to go you just say like yeah 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 I like the way that she went, oi, 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 oi. If you can mimic the exact noises, that makes the other person then eventually, every time they try to have sex and they make the noises, they're going to think of the old couple just listening and rubbing <sighs> each other. Yeah, that is one way to do it. So that's just a little tale coming from Stockholm, Sweden, and we will see you all very soon. Also, you might like this one. Uh, Shoppers report seeing a ghost roaming the aisles of a Massachusetts grocery store. The name of the grocery store is Market Basket. Um, What? uh, Where is is Market Basket? I have never heard of that before. Market Basket. I don't know. It's in Massachusetts. All right. Um, So apparently uh, people are seeing, several people have reported seeing a young woman between the ages of 17 and 30, which is, it's quite an age gap, I would say, don't you think? 17 and 30 with light skin, dark hair, and blue eyes in out-of-fashion clothing wandering the aisles of Market Basket on Main Street. One shopper, according to Patch.com, is familiar with her as she used to visit her home when she lived near the store. This is according to the one shopper. She says, if the rumors are true, it makes this Market Basket a lot more interesting. (laughs) Um, It just sounds like hipsters. It could be. That is just hipsters. (laughs) That's how they all dress. They all dress in old-timey clothes. I know, I know. Uh, the woman goes on to say, I saw her and looked away to see if anyone else saw her. And I would, and when I looked back, she was gone. That's so funny. It's like I just want to always cut to the, the uh, Ghostbuster scene of get her. That was your plan, Ray? Get her? Get, get her? Um, so uh, other customers are not believers. They are asking, what are you smoking? Uh, which is, of course, a reference to marijuana. Marijuana doesn't let, make you see ghosts. As a matter of fact, marijuana probably uh, would make you run frantically and forget that you ever saw anything paranormal because it's too horrifying to, con- um, to comprehend at that time. Not uh, me, man. I think that I legitimately would not be. I think I would be more ready to accept it. Yeah. Could be. It could be as well. What are you smoking? It could go either way. That's the power of marijuana. Uh, Even employees of this place uh, are divided. A woman who has worked in the grocery store for four years, she says, I don't want to lull if you're totally serious. Um, But she does say she believes the store is definitely haunted, although admits the overnight shift makes makes his imagination run wild after working alone for 10 hours straight. So, Henry, you are currently exhausted. If you see a ghost right now, sadly, we're all going to have to take it through our skeptic group in our minds and be like, was he just tired? It's quite possible. I tell you what, I am getting those trails. You are, I see like it. little things in the corners of my eyes. Okay, you desperately need to fall asleep. You're recording in your hotel to room to in Toronto. Sleep. I see the bed right behind you. Just jump right in there when we're done recording and do not get out until five minutes before you have to be somewhere. Well, also... I thought that weed was legal in Canada, right? 
So I went and I just bought some. I went to a store and I bought some. Yeah. And then afterwards, people are telling me, being like, yeah, well, you know, weed is, is only mail order. You got to order it online. So there's no way you can get it yet. So but I was Wait, like, what? uh-oh. <laughs> I have what a did, lot of it. <laughs> what did you buy then? It's weed. But they, why I smoked it, only, it last night. Why would it only be mail order? It's Canada, man. I love the Canadian people, but sometimes you hear our Canadian law and you're just like, what? But why? What does that even mean? Why what does it happen? mean, mail order? Am Not I going to the- get a catalog? <laughs> Is that what I'm doing? So those are just a couple of my favorite little fun, lighthearted stories uh, that were submitted by uh, the listeners. So thank you all so much for uh, submitting. Again, it's a side stories, L-P-O-T-L, at gmail.com. We love you, and we love the stories. Thank you so we much. We do. It means um, a lot, honestly. And, and we will be going through more mail next week. We're going to have, uh, after this week, we have one more episode of the Deep Dive Last Podcast on the left, and then we're going to have Marcus again in two weeks. Yes, cannot wait. This podcast is brought to you by Devil May Cry 5, an over-the-top action-filled game rated M for Mature, now available on Xbox One. Ever need to just slice and dice some demons while looking hella nice? This is the game for you. It features three demon hunters, each with unique playstyles. But don't just take our word for it. Bleeding Cool calls it an elegant symphony of obliteration. Dual Shockers call it one hell of a good time. And Game Rant calls Devil May Cry the perfect action game. So come on and kick some demon ass with Devil May Cry 5. And remember, games play best on Xbox One. And now it is time for a frickin' fantastic interview with Mr. Joe Bob Briggs. Are you ready to do this, Mr. Zabrowski? You ready to do this interview? I want to talk to him. Okay. I want to talk to him. Okay, make sure you talk to him. me and him. I want to see a load of him. I want to see his home. I want to go and I want to smell his bathroom. I don't think that's what we should be telling him. I want to smell your bathroom, Mr. Briggs. Don't worry, I'm good for it. Well, make sure you listen to the whole interview to hear if Henry asked that question, because I hope that he doesn't. Um, but hey, we will see what happens. A um, lot of people are, hope I don't say a lot of things. I, well, apparently everyone who works in Toronto radio was hoping that you, didn't want to, that you didn't say any of that stuff. Although I will say once again, as an interviewer, you queue up a question, expect the question to be answered. So if you don't, don't want ask Henry to me go questions. Far, yeah, don't ask don't that question. Don't ask me questions. I know. Um, all right, everyone, enjoy this interview with Joe Bob Briggs. Live from your grave. Literally, my liver has <laughs> aged so hard in the last week because you're just on the road. I'm sure you understand just traveling the country, especially on the convention route. Oh, yeah. Like, you just, it's just different hotel bar after different hotel bar. Yeah, well, I do the cons and I do the, uh, I have a, I have a one man show that I do in, 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 in a lot of cities. So, yeah, I'm, I'm on the road a lot. The thing about Toronto is um, they've got Cronenberg and they've got some really bad stuff from the 80s. Yes. But they have this thing there called, you know, where they'll talk to you about uh, Canadian horror. Mm-hmm. Like it's a thing. And these <laughs> these movies, I don't know whether they're Canadian or American or whatever. And But the Canadians always know which movies were actually filmed in Canada and which movies have Canadian directors and which movies have Canadian actors. And to me, they, they're all just the same. But yeah. uh, we'll always do this thing about what do you think of Canadian horror? There's probably the same percentage of Canadian horror movies as there are percentage of Canadians in North America. So, <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> they are so excited and so particular about claiming their legacy because yep. they hate being swallowed by America. Absolutely. Well, I come from the home. My home state is Wisconsin. And any celebrity that comes from Wisconsin. And that is the first thing that people will say. As a matter of fact, little known fact, because she has said, um, kind of denounced my home state, Halle Berry, originally from Wisconsin. But you wouldn't know it if you listened to her. You have to talk to a Wisconsinite who was like, technically, Catwoman was ours. Well, Ed Gein is definitely yours. Oh, I know. Oh, yeah. 
we claim him. We got Dahmer, we got Gein, and we got Chris Farley. So Wisconsin has a pretty good track record of entertainers. That's right. Joe Bob, are you excited to be talking to two other, two more like fat-bodied, ugly men? Does this excite you? Well, that's a great thing about podcasting. You don't have to see us. I love it. So, uh, Joe, I, Joe Bob, I got to ask you first, um, because obviously you are the king, the king of B-movies. Um, it's a special niche. A B movie, like a reanimator, there there has to be something about it that it can't be so bad you can't watch it, but it can't be too good that the Oscars would even consider looking at it as a mainstream film. What is what makes the perfect B movie? Well, I first of all, I don't like to call them B movies. I call them exploitation movies, and that's because you know back in the eighties, um, somebody came out with a book called King of the Bees, and uh, one of the guys in the book was Roger Corman, and I and I saw Roger right after the book came out, and I said, Roger, um, what do you think about being called one of the kings of the bees? And he said, I don't really like that. Hmm. And I said, why? And he says, because it implies that there's an A movie and a B movie, and my movies aren't as good as the A movies. Right. I said, what do you think about being called the king of exploitation? And he said, I love that. <laughs> and, and it's because... Um, you know, the, 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 the movies that we call exploitation films or genre films, they're not necessarily worse than the Hollywood films. Mm -hmm. Uh, and oftentimes they're much better. Right. Uh, A movie like Hellraiser Mm. is in my opinion, uh, better than a big budget movie like, you know, like, uh, the exorcist (laughs) three. It is. That is for, that is for certain, except for the, uh, the, I, I do love the continuation of the preacher. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it has its moment and, uh, is is that the one with George C. Scott? I think it is. Yes, Yes, I think so. Yeah. Oh yeah. It does have its, its features, but, um, but for all that money, um, you know, they, they did more with, with no money when they made, you know, Hellraiser. So, um, but I think what it used to be easy to tell because these movies would only play the drive-ins and the grindhouses, mm-hmm. you know, but, but today when everything is released on, uh, you know, various types of digital media, mm-hmm. um, it's basically, um, the ones that are considered beneath contempt by the remaining mainstream critics out there. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. Of which there are a few. Do you want to beat up Leonard Malton? Like, like if you saw him, would you like want to throw down and punch him in the street? Like these kind of like the fancy dancy movie review people. Like, or would you? Like- I mean, he he would be on that list. I mean, um, you know, o- over the years, um, there there was I was supposed to, I was supposed to have a there was a critic at the New York Times named Janet Maslin who called a lot of these movies. Um, especially horror movies, uh, she called it, you know, hardcore pornography of violence and mm-hmm. really thought that they shouldn't be reviewed and they shouldn't be celebrated. And um, um, I was supposed to have a debate with her back in the 80s, but she backed out. But anyway, the, the uh, uh, that was the feeling for many, many years. Now, right. when, when films like Shape of Water are winning the Oscar, um, you know, it's a monster movie. Wins right. wins the Academy Award. Uh, obviously, tastes have changed changed a bit. And when it makes six hundred million dollars or whatever oh, yeah. the film made, you know, um, then obviously, you know, we're in a little bit of a different world now. Uh, that's an interesting point. When it comes to the sort of the need to be despised. When it comes to the horror genre now being more mainstreamed, despite the fact they still had the Oscars had the audacity to call Get Out a comedy, and anyone who said that, and I'm not even being like uh, hyperbolic, they should be shot um, because that is a horror movie. Do you think that there is a danger with the mainstreaming of horror films? Because don't you sort of need those more stuffy people to make it seem cool? Well, what you need, what you need, is maverick filmmakers who will go against the against the grain of the culture. I mean, you need you need people who will do the the incredibly politically incorrect movie. I mean, it, it's it's like. Um, uh, exploitation film producers are like uh, the professional wrestling business. Mm-hmm. They pick out things that will really annoy a segment of the public, and they emphasize that in their movies. Right, right. <laughs> so, so it's it's different things at different times. But but um, um, but yeah, we don't have enough of those guys. Um, mm-hmm. 
who are who are hustling a buck, you know. Um, uh, the the um, a lot of the f- uh, film school kids they worship these exploitation movies of the eighties, you know, right. and so they make really bad ripoffs of exploitation movies from the eighties, right? Because they they seem to get the pacing wrong. That's how I always view it. It's especially with the new ones where they kind of emphasize on the very, very slow pace of the old films. So I feel like they think that they are making homages to Grindhouse movies by essentially making what ends up being boring movies. Yeah. I mean, whereas, you know, write write, a, write something new. Write something that scares you today. I think the last director that I can remember that made a movie in re- very, very recent memory that truly scared the hell out of me, and I felt icky watching it was Lars von Trier's The House That Jack Built because that played on certain tropes like killing children um, that was really, really intense. Yeah, you probably do have to go that far these days to uh, to, to, to really shock the public. There's a movie we have on, uh, on Shudder uh, called Deathgasm. Oh, it's yeah. a uh, uh, it kind of if you if you saw the old movie from the eighties, Trick or Treat. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The, the idea being, uh, what what if Tipper? You remember Tipper Gore? Does anybody remember Tipper Gore? The, Tipper Gore gave the biggest gift of all time. Sort of going back to that previous comment of like yeah. having people despise it. That's what make it cool. Yeah. Tipper Gore was the greatest marketing tool of all time for rap music yes. and for just hardcore music in general. So she and she was claiming that you know rap music caused you know, uh, rape and violence and all these bad things. And so, um, so the premise of trick or treat is what if everything she says is true mm. <laughs> and, and you, and you play the, play the record backwards and the devil appears and it turns everybody into, um, you know, demons and rapists and everything. And so there were, there were, there were actually three or four movies of that type. So along comes this movie, Deathgasm and 2015, from New Zealand, and it's the same idea 30 years later. And so I'm I'm like, well, is New Zealand just especially slow? They're just finding (laughs) out that this type of uh, genre, subgenre exists, you know, and I don't know. It's like, it's really well made, Mm -hmm. but it's sort of, but because it's based on such an old idea that people, it doesn't really, you know, register that well anymore it, it's like a movie it's like a um um it's like you you don't really you don't really fully engage with the movie because you're thinking you know why are they doing this in 2015 because everybody wants their whack at it i feel like that's it too they, they think that like well now we can tell it our way but it's like right. well they've done it many many times yeah and uh, you know the same thing with uh, you know if you have a lot of money you can do a remake you can pick pick a mediocre cult movie from the 70s or 80s mm-hmm. and remake it. Well, exactly, like they did with Maniac and a series of other films that have been come out more recently. I have been obsessed with remaking The Man with Two Heads. I think that that's got like a good, there's a pocket there about what I always wanted David Cross and Wesley Snipes. <laughs> I would watch that. It's all, But it's almost like horror is becoming like, um, you know, Broadway. What do they, what do, they do yeah. on Broadway? They do the same. They do the same ten musicals over and over and over again. Oh yeah. <laughs> they, they do. They do Gypsy. They do uh, the Music Man. They do. You know. And so Cats. we have these. We have these stories now. These horror stories that are considered classic. You know, Hellraiser being one of them. How many Hellraisers have there been? Oh, the new uh, one is rough. Well, <laughs> Hellraiser has been long enough. Has been around long enough to the point where we got a fat pinhead. Uh, which is crazy. He's not even fat. I, I feel represented. Pinhead, yes, I know. Um, so what? where do you draw the line between an homage and just a straight-up copy and paste? Like Because homages are great. Like I love when people give winks uh, to, the, to the genre and you know just a, an appreciative nod uh, to the people, the forefathers of horror. Um, but then when it's just a straight-up steal, where do you draw the line between homage and just mimicry? Well, I think there's got to be something Thing reimagined about the original story otherwise um, what's the point it's just gonna suck and when they first started remaking when they when the, when the big budget era of remakes started mm-hmm. when, when would they call that like the year 2000 or 2002 something like that yeah um, I think the actually I think the first one 
was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, yeah, when they made it all pretty. Yeah, they did the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, then they did The Hills Have Eyes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The Hills Have Eyes remake was pretty good. I mean, because the original Hills Have Eyes was shot on 16 millimeter, and so it's kind of, you know, grainy and and weird, and maybe that helps it, maybe it hurts it, I don't know. But um, the Hills Have Eyes remake, even though it was made by a French dude, which 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 burns me up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm this way. I feel the same way about how many times we've had a British dude play Charles Manson in two <laughs> different things recently coming up, and it's driving me up the wall. Charles Manson is ours. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, when they were doing those first ones, I thought they were well done. They were, they were, I mean, I'll never like a remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's my favorite movie of all time. So I'll never really like it, but I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. Right. It was, it was competent. It was, you know, they, they did their homework. Yeah. And then, then, then at some point they just became all, you know, cheap and cheesy and quick and dirty and you had people making remaking stuff like the legend of boggy creek (laughs) there's movies you just couldn't remake i know some (laughs) just re-release the old one in the theaters because i want the theater experience of going to see the original texas chainsaw massacre that would be so freaking badass oh yeah and you're seeing a lot of that a lot of that's happening a lot of times uh um i'll be asked to come and introduce a, a a movie and I'll say, how many people in the audience have already seen the movie? And it'll be like 90%. <laughs> but but um, uh, there's a real desire to like watch movies with other people in a theater, especially if it's 35-millimeter film. Yeah. Um, uh, because that experience is, you know, being lost uh, as, you know, Nef- Netflix believes that the future is – one person with one device. When I see people watching movies on their phone, I'm like, "What? Where, where do you enjoy anything? Do you also just like? Is it only Natty Light? Is that all the only thing that you drink? <laughs> How do you feel about the new, like, festival kind of ran horror film? Because so now it seems like they kind of set up every year the horror movies that we're going to get. There's some remake. Mm-hmm. There's normally some form of either. Um, either a sequel or something schlocky uh, that they kind of push to the wayside. But then now we're getting like we had it with a hereditary. We had it with Suspiria. These kind of these new like festival loving, like high art horror movies that then kind of get paraded around and get a lot of attention. And I enjoy them, but mm-hmm. it seems like we're losing some of the fun in the process. Yeah, they do sort of telegraph which ones we're supposed to like, right? Yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I, I think that, um, unfortunately, you know, the, the only people that get noticed are the ones that do have some, some bucks right. and it shouldn't be that way because the technology for making movies has become so cheap mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. I thought we would have like, you know, a hundred horror movies a year because, right. you know, so many people would be able to make one and, and I thought, you know, even if just like five out of the hundred are good, it would be, <laughs> it would be um, uh, an improvement. But yeah. uh, it hasn't really worked out that way because I, I go to these festivals where the guys with the $20,000 horror film or the $35,000 horror film and um, they suck, you know, <laughs> and, and they'll say, you know, they'll have a panel afterwards and say, well, you know, we didn't have enough money to do this. And I'll say, you know, guys. Nothing involved with the flaws in this movie have anything to do with money. Hmm. <laughs> it's right. like, you know, the production values are great. <laughs> you know, right. you know, it's it's the script, it's the acting, it's the, you know, well, we live in Lawrence, Kansas. We don't have any, you know, we don't have professional actors here. Isn't there a university in Lawrence, Kansas? Don't they have a drama department in Lawrence, Kansas? <laughs> you know, it's like right. Yes, you do. You have actors there. Don't say that. I feel like people truly forget those resources. I think they forget that, like, Bruce Campbell was his was his friend. Like, that was Sam Raimi's friend. Like, right. that was a guy that they knew that was super fun. Everybody that all the, my favorite stories of the filmmaking groups that came out of was, like, literally, like, 
a bunch of school kids that like one kid, one of them ended up being in all the plays and the other one ended up getting a camcorder when he was 12 years old and just started shooting everything. And it kind of, they learned to tell a story over time about what they liked where now it seems like people are on, on, which I I think it is important to copy, but I wonder if they're losing a little bit of that inspiration. And of course, Henry's friend grew up to be Joe Francis from the Girls Gone Wild series. And my God, what a successful filmmaker. It started with my tits. <laughs> I mean, I could sit and talk. I mean, this is, I mean, I'm just, I am shaking. I am vibrating. You don't want to see it. I'm so excited. I could talk to you about movies all day, but I want to ask, obviously, you I hear of you. I watched all of, I watched all the new drive-ins on Shudder. Oh, they're, so good. They're so good. great, man. They are fucking great. Thanks, uh, man. I have a, I want a couple questions about the process of that show. First of all, Congrats! Love the new pickup. Can't wait to see the new show on Shutter. It's I'm more I'm already in, and our yep. our listeners are already in. Right. Um. My question is: so when the the in 2011, like when the last show when Monster Vision ended, were you just kind of like waiting for another show to show up? Like, was it you were like a thing where eventually somebody will come? Like, with someone will come? Were you actively pitching a show, or were you just like, were you ready to be done? Um. See, I'm I'm originally a writer. And so mm-hmm. I just right. went, I just went back to my writing career. You know, I figured, okay, TV is over. I'll go back to writing for magazines. Of course, it wasn't as easy as I thought because, you know, they forget about they forget about you, and then you have to go and find your old editor yeah. friends and get jobs. But I just went back to writing. I wrote a couple of books, and I wrote uh, a lot of magazine articles, and I uh, did some other some other writing, and then um, about once a year. Um, somebody would come to me, either a producer or a network in some cases, and they would say, you want to do a new show? And I would say, sure. Right. And then I would never hear from them again. No, they just wanted to, they just wanted to, it's what a great business. We just want to make sure that he wants it. And then we're not going to give it to him. Very good. <laughs> and so that, that, went, that went on for, you know, uh, 17 years. And so these guys came to me, um, in the fall of 2017, two guys, one of them, his day job was um, um, uh, editing for MTV, and the other guy, his day job was um, uh, producing for Troma. <laughs> and so, and they said, "Hey, can we pitch a show with you?" And I said, "Sure." And I figured, okay, we had lunch. That's over. <laughs> Another dream down the fucking toilet. About a month later, they show up with the um, Shutter executive, and we have lunch, and. Um, and uh, he says, yeah, let's do the show. And so we started, uh, actually, it was originally going to be a 54-hour uh, marathon. We were going to do like, Damn. remember the old Jerry Lewis telethons? Of where course. Jerry would get more and more ragged. <laughs> yeah, was, it was all those weird steroids, and he started plumping out. <laughs> he would become he would become weirdly sentimental, and you know, his, his whole, you, you were watching it partly to see how psychotic Jerry would get. And so I said, <laughs> let's do one of those, you know? Right. And and so. Um, then they came back to us and said, "Well, we don't have the money for that. We've only got like five dollars." You're like, "Perfect! I'm your, I'm your man." And so I said, "Well, we've planned this big thing," and they were like, "Well, we don't have money for that. Here's five dollars." And so, uh, actually, uh, the producers and I were 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 thinking about, well, maybe we should just you know put this on hold for a while and walk away. And then the crew, I'll ne- I'll never forget this. Uh, the the crew says, "We'll work for free." We wanted That's to work insane. on this. We'll work for free. Wow. A lot of them. Most of them. And I said, well, fuck, I got to do it now. <laughs> and so, and so um, we, we shot that first um, 24-hour marathon. Uh, you, know, you know the reality show uh, Ink Master? Mm-hmm. Of course. Uh, Ink Master is shot in an abandoned factory <laughs> in, in a bad part of Newark, New Jersey. And... <laughs> Ink Master had an extra room. So we <laughs> took over their extra room and re- kind of recreated the uh, the old Monster Vision set. Because that was the other thing. I'm saying to these producers, I said, what kind of show do you want to do? And they say, Monster Vision. I want to do Monster Vision. And I'm like, that show's 20 years old. They said, no, that's what we want to do, Monster Vision. I'm saying, right. you can't repeat TV. You can't do the same thing you did 20 years ago. 
That would be like, you know, you can't do the Dick Van Dyke show today. That would be terrifying. He looks like a skeleton. He's nothing but teeth now. (laughs) No, that's what we want to do. We want to do we want to do monsters. And so I was like, uh, okay, what about this element? Yeah, we want it to be exactly like it was. (laughs) So we kind of did exactly the same show. And um, I didn't really know what we had. And then, uh, as you guys probably know, it, it, it caused this sensation, yep. mostly not because of the quality of the show, <laughs> but because, but because uh, uh, we took down the servers, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the, everything we broke, we, we, we broke shutter that night. Well, you know, I will say there is something about just feeling, you know, in this world, not to get all like, but everything has gone crazy. Technology came at us so fast. Everyone's like spinning, 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 like we're all in the Gravitron. There is something about just putting a flag in the past and just bringing it to the present. And I think there is something about seeing Joe Bob Briggs presenting films that makes everyone feel like, okay, we can get through all of this. Joe Bob is still with us. We're still rocking and rolling. Dude, there's just nothing... There's nothing old about the simplicity of the show. No. That that is always forever fresh. It's it you is. in the camera. I'm already on board with the movie. You showed me a couple of things I had never seen. I actually never saw Terror Train. There's a couple ones I saw. I was just like, okay. There was ones I saw. I was like, this is, oh, hell yeah. This is a perfect excuse to rewatch all the Phantasms. Abs- We're going to go through this oh, whole so thing. Good. We're going to. We're going to revamp this whole thing. Me and my wife sat and it's like got popcorn. Well, that's the other thing that I mean, the 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 the, uh, the director of the show, a guy named Austin Jennings. And he and he I said, I said, you know, uh, Monster Vision was on a commercial station. And so, you know, we can't really reproduce it. And he says, oh, yeah, we can. We're going to interrupt the movie. And I said, do you have commercials? No, we don't have commercials, but we're going to have commercial breaks. And so I said, okay, isn't that going to really piss people off? And he was like, he was like, well, they can watch the, the the uninterrupted movie elsewhere on the network. And I said, okay, well, you know, we'll do it. And so we did that, and people liked it. They liked going through the movie with a friend, you know? Exactly. Dude, that's when I went and I refilled my bowl. I literally would go. That's when I was. I would go. That's you would be time. talking in the background. I'd pour my drink, did exactly as you ordered, and just and sat back. It's really good. Absolutely, Joe Bob. You, you mentioned you mentioned how you you began as a writer, sort of transitioned into being a television personality. And for those that have not read, Joe Bob goes to the drive-in, and Joe Bob goes back to the drive-in. You must. Your writing is brilliant. Your your satire is absolutely brilliant. Was there anything? Is there anything that you wanted people to get from your writing, whether it be sociological, political, that was sort of lost because of the horror genre? So some folks would just say, "Yeah, that's really smart commentary." on modern society, but it's under the guise of a Texas Chainsaw Massacre review or something about, uh, you know, um, the movie Evil Ed or something like that. Was there anything in your writing that you felt wasn't fully appreciated? I felt like all of it was not fully appreciated. (laughs) (laughs) The thing about us rednecks is um, uh, you can dismiss anything a redneck says. Right. You know, it's like the last minority group that can be that can be absolutely vilified at, yeah. at any time. You know, it's like uh, I think it was um, Lenny Bruce said, um, uh, "If the Pope spoke with a Southern accent, nobody would believe anything he said." I agree. So- <laughs> our but our co-producer Marcus Parks is from Rochester, Texas, and he talks about it quite a bit about yeah. how like he the, and when we visited Texas, they're like, "Don't you make fun of our shit here." Like no, you understand, it's like there's a whole culture our, here. It's a huge safe space, the state of Texas, for the uh, for the Texas uh, or for the redneck uh, personality type. Yeah, um, but uh, I, I actually have to uh, because I was sort of an unapologetic redneck. Um, uh, people, everything I said was easy to dismiss, right. e- even if later it was you know it was quoted somewhere as saying, "Hey, this guy actually made a good point here." You know, but right. no, it probably can't be a good point because he's a redneck. <laughs> so <laughs> so it, it was always, but but um, that was that was also kind of the fun right. of it. Can I ask you a shock jockey question? Um, when you were writing profoundly erotic, would it be a thing that like did you have to like jerk off first 
and then get your thoughts clear? Like, is it one of those where you literally had to get the demons out and then you can write? Well, uh, no, because oddly enough, uh, that that was a book about movies that were uh, prosecuted or or banned because of the sex in the movies, and remarkably. None of the sex is very good in any of those movies that were banned. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, uh, so no, that was a, that was an easy call. On those. You, mentioned, I mean, you mentioned sex, which, of course, you refer to as aardvarking. Um, where did, what did you, uh, which makes it, it really crosses some strange, strange, strange stre- uh, streams. Um, where, where'd you come up with the idea of calling sex aardvarking? Well, when I see, I was first writing these reviews for a mainstream newspaper and there was a whole host of things you couldn't talk about and you couldn't say. And so I started inventing nonsense words, um, that were pretty, it's pretty obvious in context what they meant. And so I ended up with my own vocabulary. Now, when I got to, um, when I got to TNT, uh, TNT had a very strict standards and practices thing, you know, big list of stuff you couldn't say, and um, and so I, I instituted the same principle where I would just, you know, invent a nonsense word for whatever I wanted to say. And then my nonsense words started showing up on the on the forbidden list of words you can't say on TV. <laughs> so it's uh, you can't ever win. You know, when I when I first started out um, and I would be censored for this, that or the other. They would always say, Joe Bob, you can't offend – you know, I, I understand. It's funny, but it's offensive to the older people, no. you know. And then now that I'm one of the older people, they'll come along and say, you can't say that because it's offensive to the younger people. Right. What the fuck? Yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. No, it is have, difficult. No, and you know what? Both of those are lies. We have found with our show – um, people are not as easily offended as studio executives want to portray them as. Uh, folks really do uh, have a stronger um, palate than a lot of people understand. I do a little thing at the beginning of my show about safe spaces and trigger warnings and make it clear that there will be no safe spaces and there will be no trigger warnings. <laughs> yeah, I know a lot, of in the, a lot of people in the younger generation hate all of that stuff, so you're doing, you're doing a good job. That's why they love you. But that's the beauty of the Shutter Show. What I and this is because you can just let it fly. That was like mostly it was like when Natalie, my wife, and I were watching and being like, "Man, he gets to go without a net. Like he gets to just he can say whatever the hell he wants to say." This I have a question about process. When you go through, like when you are going to do the movie, do you do any pre-writing? Like, is there stuff that you know you're going to say, or do you surprise yourself all the time? No, I kind of know what I'm going to say because, you know, I'm on so, so many fucking minutes in the, I mean, we interrupt the movie like five times and I'm on before the movie, I'm on after the movie. Um, Now, thank God, you know, uh, there's a lot of information on most of these films. Uh, uh, When I first started doing this, we had films where there was zero information. You know, there was no internet. And so um, we didn't know where – sometimes we didn't know what country the film was made in. <laughs> we, you know, we'd look up the director. We couldn't find any reference to where he came from or who, or who he was, you know. Well, I think you can gauge that by how much young boy full frontal nudity there is because if mm-hmm. there's a lot, that's Sweden. <laughs> that's for you sure. I really love it. Actually, if there's a lot, that's Dave Dakota. <laughs> 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 I'll tell you, I want to tell you my also my story eventually about how I saw David Cronenberg's butthole in a doctor's <laughs> office. Accidentally, Henry, you know I what? walked. Just tell him now. I just walked into, I was in a Hollywood doctor uh, shooting a series in Canada in Toronto, and they said, hey, oh, you can go right in there. You can go right back into the right into the examination room. They're ready for you. And I opened up the door and literally said, hi, I'm Henry Zabrowski. And as I opened up the door, I saw a man bent over the table, an older man bent over the table while the doctor was looking at his rim, like looking, looking at it, like, like knelt in front of it. And he turned to look at me, and it was David Cronenberg. <laughs> and I just was like, I'll never be in one of his movies. I, this is done. This You've is seen my too much. Yeah, How could you respect him terrible. as a director when you know what his butthole looks like? But do, So, Joe, so when you, you just riff, 
Like you don't have a teleprompter. Like do you, you just you go. No, I have notes. I have notes. I'm okay, cool. right. I know where we're starting, where we're going. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because no. I'm as a per I riff all time, and I wonder like when do like you're so fucking sharp that I was like, how do you stay that sharp? Like how do you stay so in the pocket? What what I do is I say we're not going to stop. Once we start, we're not going to stop. Right. Uh, so it creates tension, especially yeah. <laughs> especially if we have guests. Um, a lot of the guests hate it. Um, actually, some of the more accomplished actors don't like that at all. <laughs> they're they're like, "What? What do you mean?" And they're like, "No, we're not going to stop. We're, you know, this is it. The one time we're going to do it one time, and that's it." Well, that and makes so- you a true professional. But fifteen, well, you know, a- real like movie acting is five minutes at a go. For the most part, you literally have to memorize your six lines in her scene or whatever you do. And then you get that one take of a scene and then you can move on. The acting is easy. It's the it's all the rest of it is very difficult. Uh, and that's six lines a day. Yeah, exactly. Yes. We are talking to Joe Bob Briggs. Uh, you have got to check out his uh, show on Shutter Again, uh, Joe Bob's Drive-In Theater. Uh, just a to- true legend, Monster Vision. Um, Joe, I got a question when it comes to surroundings and horror movies. We were kind of going back to that Netflix conversation, fo- going back to what Henry was talking about with folks watching movies on their phone. Um, the drive-in movie experience, I felt like that was so crucial because we kind of missed out on that. Our generation, I'm 37, Henry's uh, 34 or 35, our generation didn't really have that drive-in movie experience where they played three movies in a row and maybe one of them is good or maybe half of one of them is good. What do you think about just the setting for the genre of horror, just the surrounding setting of the drive-in experience? Do you think that that was crucial uh, for the genre, well, it it was it was crucial not not for the not for the reason that you were, you know you were watching the movie outside in a car, but that those drive-ins were owned by um, uh, ind- independent owners, mom mm-hmm. mom and pop operations, and so there was this great demand for movies that were outside the studio system because a lot mm-hmm. of times the drive-ins they couldn't afford this, the big studio movies or the studios were contemptuous of the drive-ins didn't want their movies playing there and so uh so the drive-ins and the grindhouses uh were heavily dependent on guys like uh, Roger Corman and Samuel Arkoff and the great indie producers of the 50s 60s 70s mm-hmm. um uh, and eighties. Um, and then, then what replaced it, um, uh, was the video store during the VHS right. um, revolution, certainly in the eighties where suddenly they just wanted, they just wanted as many titles as they could get. So for guys, for hustlers, like, uh, you know, Fred Olin Ray, Jim Wynorski, these directors, uh, uh, who were very, um, active in the eighties, um, what? Yeah, that means I can just like make a cheap shot on video movie for, you know, fifty, sixty thousand dollars, and it'll just go straight to the video stores. Yeah, I'm I'm down for that. And so right. they just started churning these things out. Um, and and some of the <laughs> some of our most beloved cult films come from that atmosphere where you you know you you came up with the idea for the movie on Monday, you shot it on Tuesday. Uh, you, you, you got it in the video store on Wednesday. <laughs> you know, right. It's the urgency. It's because you, you literally had to spit out the movie. You had to like you had it inside, and you had to. I have no money. I call up my uh, friends in the business. I say we're going to shoot this in six days. You know, uh, show up in Glendale on 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 Tuesday, and they would you know rough out a script and and make the movie, and so that kind of. Um, you know, Wild West feeling. Um, it's like, I don't know why we don't have that today because the technology got so cheap. Those guys were right. working with 35 millimeter, millimeter film. I think it's a mental, I think we're friggin' hypnotized to believe we're helpless. I think that there's mm. a part of it, which is the reason why, because I know when I was first describing to my agent and we talked about this all the time when we were doing the podcast right because a podcast is now this business where anybody can do it 
you could get like a Zoom and yep. a microphone and you got a podcast. You right. can you can now pump it out. You have GarageBand and there for so long they've been they've been kind of pushing against it essentially right. because they can't figure out how to make money off of it. Well, yeah, we went against the we we went against the studio system in in its own way. And so I feel like it's almost that there's kind of prevailing sense of helplessness with this idea that you just can't go and make a movie when in fact you can just get up and make a goddamn movie if you want to very, very easily. I think what happens is, is, um, um, the guys who are making, you know, extremely cheap movies, the movies are underproduced. They don't, they don't go to film school. They don't learn the classic moves. the, the, the advantage of shooting on 35 millimeter film is, you know, you've got to get the shot. You've got to get the shot because the film is too expensive. And right. so when you're working with digital media, you can shoot the, the scene fucking 30 times. Well, you shouldn't shoot the scene 30 times. You should know how to shoot the scene before you shoot the scene. You know? right. and so, well, and I think that's what made something like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre so much fun because, uh, oh, my God, I'm Marcus's favorite character, Henry, the guy who lights the, can- uh, the, the photo on fire, the guy with the scar in his the face. The hitchhiker. Uh, the hitchhiker. What the hell's his name again? Ed Neal. Yes, uh, his character, I just felt like it came across as so organic. I guess it's because of what you were saying, where it doesn't really seem like he's acting. Some people could say, oh, that's bad acting, but I think that was just a great performance on his part to look like a deranged hitchhiker. Yeah, he actually told me that he had a cousin who was uh, mentally ill. He copied (laughs) some of the stuff that his cousin did. He nailed it. Yeah. Can I ask, what's some of your... Favorite modern movies. What's what have you seen recently that excites you? Like, do you get to, or are you too busy prepping for the show? Like, do you get to go out to movie theaters, or people like, what do you think, Joe? As you're trying to watch it. <laughs> well, I'm I'm not as I'm not as up on uh, recent movies as I should be. I, I I actually just did my show at South by Southwest, and everybody was chattering about us, mm-hmm. and um, uh, but it was. You know, film festival people are not real people, you know, <laughs> and right. critics who go to film festivals are not real people. Right. And so I would say, uh, what is it about? And they would say, oh, it's about everything. <laughs> Perfect. And is it good? Uh, so good. I'm not sure what I saw, but it's so good. So you know, good. And, and, and so and so uh, I don't know. I haven't seen it yet, so I don't know if it's if it's if it's great or awful. Uh, well, but, uh, <laughs> but I, I actually think Jordan Peele, Jordan Peele is doing some good stuff for the genre because uh, he's bringing I think he is taking it to another audience. And and I have no problem with what he's doing. Um, I thought Get Out was was really, really good. But going sort of on that question, but sort of the inverse of it, what was was there a film growing up? Did you really love these grind grindhouse films when you were growing up or did it? What came first, the job of, of writing for them or the love for them? Well, I always liked movies, but I, I would say I discovered um, uh, exploitation movies when I was, you know, um, uh, well into my 20s because they seemed uh, forbidden. Um, and, and that was the ad campaigns. The ad campaigns made right. them feel like something you shouldn't be watching. So I had to see them. And, <laughs> you know, they were either sex or violence. It was always sex or violence. It was some right. kind of like extreme that uh, you you couldn't get in the mainstream movies. What about the idea, you know, going back to that kind of concept of your, of, um, your buddy, uh, Mr. Neil there, um, when it comes to just having unattractive people on screen, I think, you know, you mentioned rednecks being one of the more maligned groups, and I do agree with that. There's a great documentary on that, as a matter of fact. Um, but when it comes to ugly people, um, they are not on screen. As a matter of fact, the gal who played Eileen Warnos, what was her name? Charlize Theron. Charlize Theron. She got an Oscar for just looking like a normal person. And they're like, I can't believe she dared mess up her face like that. Oh, incredible. And Elijah Wood, who I actually really like, he's big for our genre, and I have no problem with Elijah Wood. But the fact that Elijah Wood played Maniac, I don't think he should have cast himself in that because you go and you watch the original Maniac, the guy who played that character... I am fully convinced it was a documentary because I was like, that guy is so freaking 
creepy. What about just getting ugly people in front of the camera? How much do you think that makes it controversial? What, to put a put a, a, a an ugly person on camera? Yeah, because you don't see ugly people <laughs> on camera anymore. And when a celebrity who looks beautiful dresses up as ugly, they get nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, well, that's sort of. They also get nominated for an Oscar if they play a mentally retarded person. Yeah, that's what all I'm. Ba- that's what I'm banking on, Joe. This is what I'm trying to get. That's the kind of role I want. I want to be a simple farm boy that that learns the power of love. I, I don't think you can judge um, anything by the Oscars. But I think that that is one of the areas where the horror genre, when it comes to the mentally disabled, when it comes to people who truly look like everyday people like you and I, um, they were able to say, hey, you you can be a star. You can be an actor. We don't have to have this milk toast version of what we think humanity is supposed to look like. And I don't think the horror genre gets enough credit really for being unbelievably liberal and open-minded uh, about putting people who aren't regularly on camera on camera. Yeah, I, I would say the best example of that is uh, Sling Blade, um, yes. where, uh, you know, Billy Bob Thornton, um, that made him a star. And Billy Bob Thornton wouldn't be a star in anybody's universe if he <laughs> if, if he hadn't made that one movie. Right. And so, uh, um, but yeah, that's... that's uh, uh, anyway, I, I guess it wasn't a question. It was more of me screaming into the microphone, making you're a just yelling at us, Kessel. <laughs> you're literally just yelling at two people on the phone, but, <laughs> talking to a legend and your and your best friend. But I, I do think that that's an important thing that uh, the horror movie genre has provided us. Can I ask? Can I ask a dumb another Chris Farley esque from the SNL sketch, uh, like when he talks to Paul McCartney like question? What was Joe Spinell like? Did you ever meet him? <laughs> I never, I never met Joe, but I met all his friends. Uh, there, there used to be this character act, these character actors that would meet once a week at a restaurant on Melrose Avenue, and they would occasionally invite me to their spaghetti dinners. And it, it, was all, it was all the tough guys. It was all the tough guys in in uh, Hollywood, and they loved Joe Spinell. And when when Joe, so when Joe Spinell died, they made this Joe Spinell highlight tape. That that they just loved, and they and they would give it to everybody of all Joe Spinell's greatest moments in film, and um, uh, so I, I never met the man himself, but I know that he was just uh, idolized by his fellow uh, character actors. Nice. Yeah, he well, seemed like a wild one, dude. I also love the last horror show. He's great in it. Yeah, and uh, if you remember, he was the dispatcher in Taxi Driver. Oh, oh. nice. He has like two scenes, but but he steals the scenes. He's great. He's great. Very nice. Well, I guess, you know, just, I mean, I have like one more question, which is basically just movie recommendations. Do you have anything, Henry? Is there, is there any other questions that we have for the legend that is Joe Bob Briggs? I, I mean, I could talk like this for hours with you, Joe, but I'm not a beautiful <laughs> woman. I'm, I, there's no reason I would waste your time. We are, we literally are a WWE tag team coming in at a combined weight of 569 pounds. Um, yes, I don't think that uh, Mr. Briggs needs to be spending all of his day with us. Um, so, Joe, just finally for my, for my, uh, my final little question is, what do you recommend? What should the kids go if they want to get into? Uh, the great horror genre, the exploitative films, exploitation films. Where do you start on this journey? Because it is a, there is a large catalog, and it can be kind of overwhelming. We're like, what movie should I click on first? What movie should we click on first to go down the road? I, I would have to say, you know, because I talked to so many of the fans that the fans consider. Um, uh, I, let me just put it this way: the young fans consider the eighties. The golden age of horror. Mm-hmm. Okay, now the older fans consider the '30s the golden age wow. of horror. <laughs> the Universal monsters. You know, they're they're like you know, older guys will tell you, you know, no, there's nothing ever like the Universal monsters. You know, and right. um, but uh, uh, but I think the beginning of modern horror is Night of the Living Dead in 1967. Awesome. Um, there had been, you know, up up until 1967, there had been like four zombie movies in all of film history, you know, four or five. Right. And then, and then George Romero makes Night of the Living Dead, and within about, um, uh, and then and then Sam Raimi makes The Evil Dead uh, a few years later, and then we have like, suddenly we have 
400 zombie movies. Right. <laughs> so, so I would go back to the basics and watch, watch that one, you know, for people who are just, you know, all they know about zombies is, is, is uh, walking dead. Right. And brains. This yeah. is great, dude. We, I, I can't wait for the new series. We got, so March 29th at 9 PM. So our show's coming out tomorrow. So you'll, we're going to, we'll pump it. So you're, you're 9 PM and it goes live at 9 PM. It goes live at 9 p.m. Uh, this Friday night, um, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 Pacific. And, um, uh, yeah, it's going to be double features every week. Awesome, I will be man. there. Thank you so much. Again, Joe Bob Briggs, uh, a true legend in the horror film genre. Thank you so much for being with us and speaking with us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Live from your grave. All right, there it was. The uh, famous legend Joe Bob Briggs. I thought that interview was freaking fantastic. I didn't realize we have to go all the way back to the 1930s to watch the OG horror films, and I have to fully admit, I don't think I've seen one of them. There's a couple of really fucking good ones. There's Coffin Joe that's really great. Uh, the uh, I love Dracula and Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein oh. are fucking perfect. So what happened with Coffin Joe? Did he work in the mines? And was it whooping cough or a series of different kinds of ailments? Was it Kissel. Uh, asthma? Kissel, don't let anyone ever tell you you lost it. Because <laughs> you still got it. You are hey, buddy, number you, one. You can't lose what you don't got. Am I right? It is just perfect, perfect quotes from perfect you, humor. my friend. Per- t- perfect seriously humor. perfect humor. Seriously um, perfect Oh, right. God, you got to just live, man. I know that. You got to live. Let's just leave it at that. You got to live. And you got to laugh uh-huh. because who fucking cares if you're frowning? Right. Nobody. No one really, cares. they don't. Even no, they if don't. they should, even if you got a technical problem and you wish people, someone would re- reach out right. and help you if you're frowning, a lot of times they fucking don't. They don't? No. Right. And you got to love. You got to love with that tongue first. You know nope. what I mean? Do, because do the penis gives up early. Um, all right, everyone. Thank you all so much for listening. And again, such a wonderful time on tour. We can't wait to see everybody out there. And we are excited for this year's tour. You can find it my. You can find it on my Instagram. I got a little Insta post on there at Ben Kissel One. You can find it on our website. Come on out. Don't forget, we're in Vancouver, Stockholm, and Berlin. So get those tickets because they are going to be going uh, at a good, moderate pace. Not too fast. Not too slow. We don't want to give the tickets a heart attack. But please, I cannot get wait to come to fucking Europe. Cannot wait. Cannot. Cannot wait. wait. We always so get, get so many DMs from people being like, hey, I'm sorry we were late to get the tickets. Can you please get us on a comp? I can't. We don't have that power. So please, Lord, just get the tickets. As soon as you hear they go on sale, just be like, click, 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 and then just do it um, because I don't want to see. I don't want anyone to be disappointed. Um, okay, everyone. Thank you all so much for listening. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Magustalations. Hail me, please, if you would. We shall talk to you soon. Your pretty face is going to hell. Fine. What's the, uh, when's it coming out? May 3rd, midnight. We're doing it. Let's go. May, May 3rd, midnight. Talk to y'all soon. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 